Hi everyone. Welcome to the Desi Crime Podcast. I'm Ashwarya, your host for this episode, and I'm Aryan. And we're very excited to bring to you our first ever case from Sri Lanka. Our listeners from Sri Lanka have been fantastic and they've constantly helped out with suggestions for new cases over the last few weeks. So, thank you. The story I have for you today is one that took Sri Lanka by storm, not just when it happened in 2005, but again in 2019, almost 15 years after the crime. This is the story of a 19-year-old Swedish Sri Lankan, a young girl much like any of us, and someone she had warned her family about for months now. This is the story of power, influence, and justice. This is the story of Ivon Johnson. Before we get into today's mysterious case, we have an announcement for you. We are releasing a brand new bi-weekly segment of the Desi Crime Podcast called Chai and Chitti. South Asia is full of common people experiencing uncommon things. Share your experiences with us, from supernatural experiences to crimes in your family, from freedom fighters' struggle in your bloodline to coincidences that are just too creepy to be true. Write to us on our email, the Desi Crime Podcast at gmail dot com, which you can find on our Instagram and Twitter too, which is also at Desi Crime. Send us a short message about yourself, who you are, how you found us, and then describe in detail your experience or of somebody you know. Just remember to make the subject of that email chai and chitti. Every two weeks in chai and chitti, both of us will sit down and read your stories. As told by you to our listeners from around the world, episode one of Chai and Chitti is on the paranormal, the supernatural, basically experiences where you thought you felt something not of this world, or at least somebody you know who did. Send your scary experiences to us on our email. We are waiting for your chitties to light up our inbox. Now, Ishwarya, let's dive into Evon's life. All right. So Yvonne is this beautiful, vivacious, lively girl who's born to Swedish national Roger Johnson and Sri Lankan national Kamalka Johnson. To her parents and her younger sister, seventeen-year-old Caroline, Yvonne is the light of their life. She's intelligent, she's hardworking, and she's everything they wanted in a daughter and a sister. In fact, through her hard work, in two thousand five. 19-year-old Yvonne had moved to the United States to attend fashion school. She was pursuing her long dream of becoming a fashion designer. Life was clearly going very well for the Johnson family. Roger and Kamalga were happily married, very much in love, and they adored both their daughters beyond words could describe. In July of 2005, Yvonne was back in Sri Lanka from the US and living with her parents at the Royal Park apartment complex in Colombo. 
from also being a student in the US Aran I know you'll relate July is when summer vacations are well underway so I'm certain that she was in Sri Lanka because of her summer vacations while Evon was in Sri Lanka she spent her entire time spending time with her parents hanging out with her sister and her sister's new boyfriend a 19 year old boy named Jude Jayamaha they would all hang out together go to clubs and do basically what all other 18 and 19 year olds do Now Ivon and Jude had studied in school together. They both went to Colombo International School, a prestigious school in Sri Lanka's capital. While Jude and Ivon were both acquainted with each other in school, they were never really friends. You know, are unlike when you hang out in the same circles, cross each other in the hallways, and yet you don't really know each other. Like hi hello friends. Exactly, hi hello friends. And besides, Caroline and Jude only began dating when Ivon had already left for the United States. Anyway, now once back, they're all friends. They all hang out. They all have fun. Everything's great. It's the thirtieth of June and a Friday night in two thousand five. The clubs across the capital were raging with parties, and Ivan and Caroline decide to go out together. At eight thirty in the night, the sisters ask their father if they can take his blue jeep out over to a friend's place for a party. Their father says, "You're going out together, but make sure you come back together too." The girls agree and they're out for a fun night ahead. But before they reach their party, they stop by a big affluent house at Bagatale Road owned by Jude's very wealthy and very well-respected parents. Jude is actually the son of reputed businessman Preeti Jayamaha, the owner of the very famous Coronation Bar and Restaurant in Colombo and also owns several highly sought-after catering services. So basically a very wealthy very rich well known family in sri lanka they pick jude up from his apartment and make their way to a pub called the white horse at white horse they catch up with four other friends of theirs they dance they party they drink up a bit but eventually they kind of get bored of the place and decide to go over to another club in the city called glow when they enter glow it's totally not what they were looking for it's absolutely dead that night there weren't enough people there was no good music there was no dj playing and within no time they're out of glow as well they all sit down and discuss where to go and they soon make their way to another pub called the blue elephant they are doing quintessential bar hopping at this point I know. my problem is that it is remarkably and eerily similar to what people of our age would be doing like this is something we would be doing yep yep they're just being normal kids they're goofing around they're finding places boring yep. they're trying to find a nice place to have fun at The rest of the night the group actually keeps going back and forth from one club to another from the blue elephant they get bored and they go to a holiday inn where they meet up with a korean friend of theirs from the holiday inn the group and the korean friend go back to the blue elephant now finally at around 12 12:30 in the night they're all at the blue elephant and something happens while they're there from later reports by caroline apparently there was a guy in the club someone they didn't know and this individual waved at caroline from a distance a report mentions that this stranger's name was pavitra and that he and caroline ended up talking for a bit while other reports don't mention them talking at all while this seems like a small normal detail and a normal incident you know it's a club it's a place where people are drunk it's just kids and young adults fooling around sometimes someone will flirt with you to jude this incident didn't sit well Soon the group notices Jude and Caroline fighting over the issue. 
Jude is visibly angry and Caroline begins to cry. Now, everything we know beyond this point is sort of blurry and varies from report to report. Later on, Jude comes forward and claims that that night, Yvonne stepped in to stop the couple from fighting, but ended up taking Jude's side in the argument. He says Yvonne agreed that it was Caroline's fault and that Jude was justified in being angry. However, Caroline comes forward and tells a very different story. She says her sister couldn't see her crying and so she steps in and scolds Jude in front of everyone for upsetting her. Caroline says Yvonne took her side and that she had done nothing wrong for Jude to get angry the way he did. By this time, the night is down in the dumps. They didn't find a nice place to party and the fight had ruined everybody's mood. At this time, Jude and Caroline just decide to call it a night and go back home while Yvonne and her Korean friend decide to party some more. Eventually, they go back to Glow, the second club they had visited that night. Okay, so the first club they visited is White Horse. Right. Then they go to Glow. Then they go to the Blue Elephant. Then they go to Holiday Inn. Then they come back to Blue Elephant. They have a fight. Jude and Caroline go back home. <laughs> and then Yvonne and her Korean friend, they go to another club, which is the same club they had visited before, which is Glow. That's right. All right, that's 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 uh, extravagant <laughs> bar I know, hopping. that's a bit too much for me too. But that's what they do that night. By now it's 2 a.m. Jude and Caroline are together in the Royal Park Apartments, the building where Caroline and her family stayed. According to Caroline, Jude left for his house in a cab about 30 minutes after they had come home. Yvonne and her friend party a bit, but then her friend leaves her in glow and goes somewhere else. Eventually, by about 2.45, at around the same time that Jude calls a cab to go back to his house, Yvonne was back at the Royal Park, and that's how the night ended for everyone. It's the next morning now, it's 6am and Roger Johnson, Yvonne and Caroline's father, wakes up and begins to get ready for work. Before leaving, he goes over to Caroline's room just to make sure his daughters are back, but realises Caroline is not in her bed. He then goes over to Yvonne's room and finds the door locked from inside. He assumes the girls are asleep inside the locked room, but just to make sure, he goes over to his sleeping wife and wakes her up. He asks if she knows where the girls are and his wife says the girls are back and they're asleep. Roger breathes a sigh of relief. He exits his 23rd floor apartment, but while exiting, finds a note on the door written by Caroline to Yvonne. The note says, quote, Wake me up when you come home, end quote. He notices the note, doesn't pay much thought to it, gets into his lift and leaves for work. Now, you guys, if I reached my home late at night and saw a note from my younger sibling saying, wake me up when you come home, and I enter the house, I probably would remove the note behind me. Maybe this is just me reading too much into it, but I find it very weird that if Yvonne was inside the house, she hadn't removed the note off the door. But you also need to understand the Shwara. I mean, they were partying, all right? They were they were getting drunk, inebriated. It is it is understandable that it just might have gone past her gaze. Yep, I know you're right. They also had a really, really long night with fights and God knows what. Also, I just assume maybe I'm thinking too much into this. Anyway, a few hours after Roger Johnson leaves for work, Kamalka Johnson wakes up and goes over to her daughter's room to wake both of them up. 
However, she only finds Caroline in the room and there's no trace of Yvonne. She quickly wakes Caroline up for her classes but asks where Yvonne is and Caroline doesn't know. As Caroline begins to get ready for her classes, she notices a text on her phone by her boyfriend Jude. She responds to it by telling him that her sister never returned home last night and that she's a little worried. To that, Jude replies, quote, She must be still rocking it. End quote. Caroline then proceeds to call the Korean friend who they were with last night and the Korean friend tells Caroline that she left Yvonne at Glow and hasn't seen her ever since. Caroline and her mother, worried for Yvonne but still hopeful that she'll return, leave the house for class at 9. But on their way, Kamalka felt so uneasy about not seeing her daughter the entire night that she asked the driver to take them back home. The feeling of uneasiness for her increased so much halfway through that she just had to go back home and figure out where her daughter was. By 9am, at around the exact time when Kamalka and Caroline left their house, the Royal Park building was bustling again. Understand, this is Colombo, it's the capital of Sri Lanka. If there's an apartment complex, it is bustling. People were in and out of their houses for their morning walks and domestic helps who worked in those apartments were starting to arrive. Now, do you guys remember the Korean friend I told you about, the one they all hung out with last night? She too stayed on the 16th floor of the Royal Park building and that's just a few floors below the 23rd floor house in which Yvonne and her family stayed. The Korean family's domestic help, Sheila Anthony, arrives at 9am that morning, her normal time to arrive. This is what Sheila Anthony recalls from that morning. Quote, I work as a domestic help for a Korean family on the 16th floor. I usually work from 9am to 5pm. On Friday, July 1st, I came to work at 9am. I was asked by the lady of the house to go to the 19th floor to give some things to somebody staying on that floor. I left the 16th floor around 9.30am. Because the lift was taking a long time to come down, I decided to take the stairs instead. End quote. When Sheila reaches the stairs of the 19th floor, what she sees lying there will change her life forever. According to her, she still gets flashes of the sights she saw on that fateful morning, even today. Lying in a pool of blood, she sees the body of a girl. Sheila screams and she's so terrified that she stumbles off the stairs and falls on the floor below. Once she gathers herself, she runs to the office of the building manager, Mr. Chandrapala, who initially laughs at the matter by telling her that she probably just saw a ghost. When Chandrapala finally realizes something is seriously wrong, he goes over to the scene and sees the body lying in such a peculiar way, he thinks it's a doll and that some kid from the building played a prank. I can't begin to imagine how peculiar a body needs to be for it to be first recognized as a ghost, then a doll. What was it about the body, Ashwara, that made it so eerily peculiar? So the body of this girl was naked from waist below. Her jeans were pulled down to her ankles, not completely off, just pulled down to her ankles, and it was those same jeans that were wrapped around her neck as if they were used to strangulate her. The head of the body was clearly smashed against something with high impact, 
and the sheer amount of blood in which the body was found made the scene look almost unreal. I cannot begin to imagine what this crime scene looked like. Soon, Chandrapala identified the body as that of 19-year-old Yvonne Johnson. The police is called over immediately, but upon arriving, they realize there was nobody in the Johnson house. Roger Johnson is at work and Kamalka is on her way back home after feeling uneasy and not knowing where her daughter was. When Kamalka and Caroline return, they see the number of police officers standing outside their apartment and immediately know something is wrong. The cops wait for the two women to enter their house and sit down before they pull out a photograph of Yvonne, a photograph she always carried in her purse. Kamalka says the moment they pulled out that photo was the exact moment she knew something had happened to her daughter. She even today speaks of how she didn't walk over to the crime scene with her husband and daughter because she didn't have the courage to see her daughter like that. At noon, Roger Johnson receives a call at work from a friend of his. He picks up, not knowing his life is about to change forever. The caller on the other side asks him to come back home as soon as he can. Roger gets into his car and reaches Royal Park at 1.30 that afternoon. He enters his house and sees it filled with police officers. He makes his way over to Yvonne's room where his wife and younger daughter were sitting and crying hysterically. He was in that room when he was informed that his 19-year-old daughter, the light of his life, was no more. They tell him Yvonne has been murdered. Unable to believe the words that come out of the corpse's mouth, he asks to be taken to his daughter's body. 17-year-old Caroline follows him to the staircase of the 19th floor, but nothing could have prepared Roger and Caroline for how their daughter and sister was murdered. According to Roger, Caroline remained silent for days after she had seen Yvonne's body. Quote, Her head had been bashed to the floor and her jeans had been removed and tied around her neck. The position in which my daughter lay had been disgusting. Her whole head was gone. I sat near her body for over an hour. How can a father see the body of his child in such a position? End quote. From the reports of the medical examiner, we can try to recreate what happened to Yvonne that night. Yvonne reaches home at around 2.45am and meets someone outside her apartment. Something happens outside the apartment on the 23rd floor that makes Yvonne run down the stairs. As she is running down the stairs, that someone catches a hold of her and Yvonne and that person get in a struggle. In that struggle, that person hits Yvonne repeatedly and breaks her ankles too. Despite the broken ankles, Yvonne continues to run down the stairs and we know this because of the vast trails of blood that were found throughout the staircase. Yvonne's earrings and other belongings were also found scattered on the staircases between the two floors and likely, felt as a, and likely fell as a result of the struggle. Somewhere close to the 19th floor, the person smashes Yvonne's head on the floor so hard that her skull breaks into 63 different pieces. After doing that, this person then goes on to remove her jeans from her waist 
and tie them around her neck to strangulate her. The cops also find that Yvonne's wallet was missing from her bag. Sometime after this, whoever did this to Yvonne took the clothes with blood on them and disposed them in a manner that they would never be found ever again. According to the autopsy report, the main cause of Yvonne's death was strangulation by her own genes. The police immediately seals the building and specifically the area between the two floors. They speak to all the family members and recreate the last night they had all seen Yvonne alive. They find out about the clubs, the partying, the drugs used in the parties and all the people present there. They find out about the fight and everybody's return back to their houses. Caroline proceeds to tell the police information that will later become critical to trying to solve this case. She tells them that she hasn't heard from her boyfriend, Jude, the entire day. She says the fact that he hasn't texted or called even once is very unusual, especially because he usually texts and calls her several times a day. The police are intrigued. They want to know who Jude is and what his relationship with Yvonne was all this while. Kamalka and Caroline are called in for questioning and tell the cops that Yvonne and Jude had known each other ever since they were nine years old and that they had studied in the same school. However, Caroline claims that Yvonne never liked Jude and had tried to talk her out of being in a relationship with him. Yvonne had also called her mother several times from the US just to tell her to prevent Jude and Caroline from being in a relationship with each other. She tells her mother about Jude's use of drugs, his abuse of alcohol, his damaged family life and its result on his psychological health. This is the same affluent family you were talking about, the ones with clear wealth, the ones with that big house. Yep, it's them. That's the broken family that yes, Jude... that's the broken family. <sighs> well, okay. She also tells her mother and her sister about how Jude was suspended from Colombo International School after disciplinary action was taken against him for using drugs in school. Caroline also knew that Jude had previously gotten a girl pregnant in that school. But despite all of this, and after ignoring her sister's warning, Caroline chose to give him a chance and they both started dating. Quote, my sister had warned me several times to not associate with Jude. She and Jude had known each other for a long time. I had also known him since I was 11. Although he had shown interest in being with me several times before, I finally accepted in February. My sister had been very angry when I told her. She knew he was a spoiled kid, involved in alcohol and drugs. End quote. Kamalka added, Quote, Caroline was a very bright kid in school. She topped all of her classes. However, ever since she started dating him, her grades dropped. Yvonne was very worried about their relationship. If only we had listened to her warnings. End quote. The police find out that Jude's parents had a bad marriage and the problem started when he was just one year old. Eventually, his parents separated, but his life at home did not improve. They learned that he had shown violent, aberrant and rebellious behaviour ever since he was very, very young. But now, one day after Yvonne's body was found, Jude was missing. He wasn't taking anyone's calls and not responding to anyone's texts. 
one full day after Yvonne is found dead, Jude finally comes out. He goes over to the Johnson house to pay his respects to the family. As soon as the family sees him there, they call the cops and inform them that they can come and take him in for questioning. The cops arrive, they take him to the police station and Jude begins to tell them a story. He tells them how they had all gone partying two nights ago, how he and Caroline got into a fight and how Yvonne had supported him, something Caroline disputes. He talks about how he went over to Royal Park at around 2 with Caroline and how he called a cab and left at around 2.20 without ever meeting Yvonne again. After the questioning is over, the cops begin to try to verify his story. They reach out to his friends, they try to find the cab he must have taken and slowly and slowly Jude's lies start to unravel. A close friend of his, Shafraz Rilwan Mohammed, comes forward to tell the cops that on the night of the murder, he received a call from Jude asking him to pick him up urgently from Royal Park. Initially, Mohammed said, it's too late, I can't come right now, my parents need me, they'll know I've left the house. But Jude pleaded him multiple times, begged him and said, quote, I'll always be your friend if you come and pick me up. Finally, after long insisting, Mohammed agrees. When Mohammed arrives at Royal Park at around 2.50, he finds Jude walking towards the car in a pair of boxers instead of the pants he was wearing earlier that night. He was carrying his pair of jeans in his hand. Cops would also later find out that that night, when he reached the car that Mohammed was in, he was wearing a shirt different from the one he was wearing earlier that night. The taxi driver comes forward and independently verifies this entire story. The medical examiner later verifies that there was a partial palm print found on the railing of the 19th floor made with blood and that it matched the palm print of Jude. Jude also eventually admits to having taken a bath in the swimming pool of the apartment complex before he called his friend for a taxi. When trial begins, prosecution uses a great deal of evidence to convict Jude Jayamaha. They use the bloody palm print, the fight that ensued, Yvonne's dislike for Jude, the fact that the clothes Jude was wearing that night have never been found, his admission of bathing in the swimming pool, something prosecution says he did to remove the blood off his body, and much more. The defence in turn paints its own picture. They claim, through their own analysis, that the palm print was only a partial match and thus inconclusive to the case. They claim that he came out of the building in boxers because he had had sex with Caroline that night, something Caroline has vehemently denied ever since. They also bring up a pair of shoes submitted to the police which had no traces of blood on them. According to the defence, had Jude killed Yvonne and been at the crime scene, the shoes would have shown at least some traces of blood. They also constantly claim that there was no animosity between Yvonne and Jude and thus no motive for him to kill her this violently. After a lengthy and cumbersome trial for the Johnson family, the judge rejected the defence's side. The judge claimed 19-year-old Jude Jayamaha had in fact taken the life of 19-year-old Yvonne Johnson. As the verdict, the judge announces that Jayamaha would face life imprisonment and would spend what was a very long life ahead 
rotting behind bars. The family and the nation breathed a sigh of relief. While they had all wished for Jude to receive the death penalty, they were happy they received at least some form of justice. They thought the justice system did right by them. A few years later, in 2012, Jude submitted an appeal to the court. In a move that would severely backfire for him, the Attorney General of Sri Lanka would ask the courts to in turn consider making his previous sentence even more strict and putting him on death row. Is it bad if I find that funny? <laughs> It's not bad at all. <laughs> in a move that shocked the nation and brought the family a silver lining of happiness in so many years, Jude Jayamaha was put on death row and given the death penalty. The now 26-year-old was to be hanged. The family and the nation rejoiced. People had faith in the justice system and everybody believed Yvonne was finally done justice. Her murderer was going to see the same fate he had decided she would see. I can imagine how happy Yvonne's family must have felt when they heard the first verdict which was a, a decent form of justice, life imprisonment. But their happiness would be, I don't know, on a different plane altogether when it was the death penalty. I, I think I, that's... I think that's good. Don't feel happy so soon, Aran. In 2015, there was a transfer of power at the highest level of government. The president changed. Maithripala Sirisena took over office after being elected. And surprise, surprise, the position of a president comes with the ability to pardon. Pardon criminals that are on death row. Now, if you're all thinking this is not possible, if all of your minds are going, no, why Jude Jayamaha? Why would the new president pardon this specific death row inmate convicted almost 20 years ago after committing a crime labeled the worst murder in Sri Lanka in the last 200 years? Why would he let this specific man off? In truly Desi fashion, Sri Lanka learns that its new president is the distant relative of Jude Jayamaha. Jude's stepmother was related to the new man in power. In 2019, Maitripala pardons Jayamaha on grounds that when he was convicted, he was just 19 years old. The nation realizes just how fragile justice is and what happens when it's left to the hands of corrupt politicians. After he was let out, Caroline, now 31 years old, spoke to a news channel and said, quote, I will never return to this country. This country has ruined our lives. I have lost a sister and a home. I will continue to fight till my sister's murderer gets a punishment he deserves. End quote. Speaking to the news, Roger Johnson, along with his wife Kamalka and Caroline, said that they now had no hope remaining for justice. You guys, the entire time Jayamaha was in prison, he had access to a cell phone, got to meet people whenever he wanted and was treated unlike the other criminals there. For the last 15 years, he maintained his innocence and kept pleading not guilty. He kept trying to petition his case and get a court to find him wrongfully convicted. 
In fact, even until right before he was pardoned, he maintained he hadn't killed Yvonne and the courts had made a mistake. But if you think this case is over here, and nothing can be worse than this, that pardoning him was the worst thing that could have happened to the Johnson family, just five days, five days after Jude Jayamaha was pardoned by the Prime Minister, he releases a public letter. In that public letter, he says sorry for killing Yvonne, accepting that on that fateful night 15 years ago, he was the one who took her life. Thank you.